Support the Bartholomew Town Podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on Apple Podcasts. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Welcome in to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. On today's episode, I sit down with the presidents of three chapters of Rhode Island College Democrats. College campuses across the United States are filled with a vast array of clubs and organizations that can serve a range of purposes, from filling students' downtime with amusement to encouraging scenarios that sculpt leaders of the future. College political party clubs provide an outlet for young politicos to engage with each other, the student body, the general public, media, and elected officials. And they provide an interesting portal to understand where political ideologies and priorities might pivot in the coming years. I recently addressed a group of college Democrats at my alma mater, the University of Rhode Island, and was pleasantly surprised by many students' in-depth understanding of local issues and the variety of perspectives that different students possessed within the confines of identifying as a Democrat. On today's episode of the Bartholomew Town Podcast, I sit down with the College Democrat presidents of three Rhode Island universities for an intriguing and fun discussion on where the Democratic Party is and where it might be heading. Joining me at the loft are Brown University's Rose Lang Meso, Bryant University's Quentin Law, and the University of Rhode Island's Andy Boardman. Hey, coming up in just over a month, June 8th to be exact, it's Bartholomew Town live at PVD Fest featuring a live podcast with some of your favorite Rhode Island political, media, and artistic influencers, plus a variety show with Providence bands and performers. Bartholomew Town Live at PVD Fest coming up June 8th. Stay tuned. I'll be rolling out the lineup very soon. But for now, complete festival details are available at pvdfest.com. Support for the Bartholomew Town Podcast comes from M. Duran Studio, Providence's finest choice for commercial photography. From headshots and portraits to high-quality candidates, check out their extensive portfolio at mduranstudio.com. Give them a call today at 401-400-2328 or message book at mduranstudio.com. Okay, without further ado, let's take you to my conversation, a roundtable, with the heads of three chapters of College Democrats right here in Rhode Island. So we're all part of an organization called College Democrats of Rhode Island, which is CDRI. Um, and that group is pretty much a parent organization or consortium of all College Democrats clubs on different campuses throughout the state. Um, so each um, College Democrats group has quite a bit of autonomy in deciding what they would like their programming to look like. Um, so over at Brown Dems specifically, we do a lot of work um, that's active engagement. So what we mean by that and what that looks like is canvassing, phone banking, um, going down to the state house either to testify or lobby members. Um, we also have a lot of educational events. So that might look like having an elected official come to speak. So recently we were super lucky to have Congressman Cicilline talk to our group. Sometimes that looks like having panels about a certain policy issue or hearing from folks of certain identities and backgrounds in politics who are often underrepresented. And then we also have events with other groups, both in Providence and on campus. So we're super lucky um, that Brown is quite a liberal campus obviously um that is a true stereotype um but at the same time that does sometimes make folks a little more apathetic than you might expect if everyone's a democrat 
why join the Brown College Democrats? What does that add? Um, what does that mean? And so we found that a way to keep member engagement high is to work with other groups on campus doing more specific issue advocacy. Um, so whether that's working with the Brown Progressive Action Committee, um, which is a more progressive um, group than Brown Democrats for people who may not be Democrats as such, but consider themselves to be progressives. Most folks actually are in both groups, um, but that's not always the case. We work with an organization called Hope, which works on advocacy for people experiencing homelessness, as well as NARAL and Brown ACLU and other such groups. So I think that keeps our engagement high um, and also helps us to target folks who may not usually come to a space that's labeled for Democrats. That's really interesting. It's a robust programming effort you've got going on there. What about over at Bryant? Well, the one thing about Bryant that's different than Brown is that we are actually, I would argue, maybe the most conservative school in Rhode Island. And uh, I mean, that comes naturally with a small business school. Uh, so starting the Brian Dems, we were in a we were in a minority initially. There was no clubs on campus. I think before we started Brian Dems in January 2018, uh, the last college like Democratic chapter was right before the Obama presidency in 2007. So it was um, over a decade since we had any political clubs on campus. And one thing that's a little different from the other schools is that Bryant is a private campus. So during election season, you know, you don't get the uh, you don't get to see the lawn signs or you don't get to see the rallies or anything that's going on because we're kind of in our own little bubble. So my goal was to bring politics to campus before that 2018 election to stir things up and kind of get people talking. Now, like I said, we are the minority on campus as far as uh, uh, political, you know, political affiliation. However, we saw a huge increase during the 2018 election. Things kind of dropped a little bit afterwards, which is which is normal. But however, uh, through programming uh, things like panels and working with other groups, like we have a group on campus called Woke Athletes. Uh, they work with they're an athletic group that gets really involved with us because they talk a lot about identity issues on campus, and um, uh, uh, they work with a bunch of different programming that brings like uh, diversity and kind of trying to put people in positions on campus to succeed that normally wouldn't. Yeah, that's really something that I didn't think about. That obviously, you know, a business school in the middle of the woods, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in might, the middle of the woods for sure. Yeah, it might, you know, and it's in the red part of Rhode Island. When you look at that map, I mean, that's a real deal. Um, as you say, a stereotype. That's a fact, you know what I mean? Not everybody is conservative in West Kanog, you know, it's situate and so forth, but more so than in South County. All right, let's talk about the URI Democrats. URI is is, is a diverse school in terms of you know you've got people from within the state you've got a large portion of people from new jersey and other parts of the northeast international students just like any college but you know for some reason it's uh i don't know being a the largest state school you have a, a, a widespread of the population there i think absolutely i uh, couldn't agree more so as you know, a student at our flagship school, the biggest school in the state, we have a lot of folks who are interested in a lot of different issues. And so what I try to do is, you know, bring everybody together and make sure that everybody has the tools that they need to, you know, act on their passions. So we've got folks who come in because they're really engaged on reproductive freedom. We've got folks who are really interested in um, environmental issues, in economic issues. And my goal leading the organization is to make sure that whatever issue you come in um, most interested about, you have all the tools at your disposal to become an activist on that, to become a leader on that particular issue. And so a lot of what we do is 
setting up meetings and discussions with elected officials, candidates, activists, uh, you know, media personalities. And we also try to engage the, um, you know, the broader student population on issues. So we do a lot of voter registration drives. We um, will do petition drives for particular issues and tabling for particular issues to make sure that, you know, we're taking a, a comprehensive view to try to get as many folks engaged as possible in the process and teach folks that it may seem intimidating at first, politics and government, but everybody involved is just a person. And, you know, if you want to get involved, you can get involved. So let's make sure you can do that. On Brown's campus, when it comes to specific issues, not just generally speaking, I'm anti-war or, you know, healthcare is a human right. When it comes to specific policies in Rhode Island, let's say legislative agenda for that month or something like that. Are there a lot of kids that have that level of um, attention to detail at this point? Absolutely, I would say. Um, So we definitely try to tailor our events similar to URI um, based on what our members are interested in. Um, So, for example, a lot of folks are interested in the choice issue and want to be sure to protect choice in Rhode Island regardless of what happens in Washington. Um, And so in order to do that, um, we brought in activists at the State House who are working on the Reproductive Health Care Act to come speak to us about what that legislative process is looking like. Like what it's been like to lobby representatives and like how our students could get involved. Um, so at that level, we've been working on some specific legislation in that way with community partners. Um, another such example is that we have a great relationship with Common Cause, and they and the Secretary of State's office has been working on an early voting bill. Um, and folks are really excited about that. I think some of it is, first of all, that it can be very difficult for students to get out and vote, um, but also that it's a matter of accessibility that a lot of our students are really passionate about. Um, so I think for particular issues that are specific to Rhode Island at the state level, um, people do want to get engaged. And so what we try to do is gauge what people are interested in and then bring in those activists at the front lines. We're super lucky in Providence that we are right next to the state house. We have great progressive representatives um, and they really love coming to talk to us. Um, and so we try to use that um to our advantage to be able to make sure that our members have access to Rhode Island politics, even if they're not from here. Um, so we try to make this as accessible as possible. We have a, like a Rhode Island Politics 101 event at the beginning of each semester, just so people know, yeah, just so people know awesome. who the actors are. Yeah, it's super helpful because like people don't know who Nick Mattiello is. That's the example that I've been using right. all year long. You want to see change. No one even knows where that starts. Absolutely. Um, so our event in the fall is for everyone, and then our event in the spring actually is just for first-year students, um, led by first-year students and a couple seniors. That way they feel like they have a space where they can be comfortable to ask questions about, like, you know, what the heck's going on in this weird small state that's kind of democratic but also sort of socially conservative. Like, what's up with that? Um, And so, like, they get the chance to understand that and then I think can engage more on more state-specific issues. Oh, man, there is hope in this world. That's great to hear. (laughs) What about some of the challenges at Bryant, though? I mean, you became Rhode Island famous this year because of one broad challenge that confronts all of the state, particularly, I think, the rural areas, at least from my perspective growing up here. If you want to speak to that and just some of the challenges that you face getting progressive or even just liberal ideas across on a, on the campus, Brian. So I, I, I would like to say that there are a lot of progressive students on campus that share views that of people in my club. However, uh, 
and to the situation that happened earlier this year that that I think that that kind of reflects the the situations that are going on in our country today. Uh, I think, you know, at any primarily white institution, you're going to have problems uh, with race and identity in general. Uh, Bryant, like, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, in my perspective, Bryant does have a race problem right now. There's a huge problem with that on campus. The tension is is crazy, and it needs to be whether President Makeley is going to address it or not. It, that's up to him. He's trying right now. We actually have a uh, a diverse uh, talk about identity with Dr. Derek Greenfield today. There's two sessions, 500 person sessions, which I commend the student affairs for you know doing that. But until I see a real diversity initiative from President Makeley, I mean. I can't, I can't, I can't support that. I mean, I, I, sh- I sure as I'm definitely not going to donate until there's a diversity initiative after I graduate in May. He promised me personally that he would do whatever he could to make to not only make amends for what happened, but to show that Brian is committed to diversity. It's in our mission statement. So, and I and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Once we're committed to doing it, we're really going to do it. It's not going to be something that we just talk about. Which right now, I it like the conversation, and it's needed. But to ensure that it continues, that's up to diversity initiatives and programs. And how about we get someone that's diverse in senior administration? Cause we don't have that right now, but that's just my opinion on that. But you know, that, that is what's kind of going on at Bryant right now, as far as it being a progressive, being a person of color, being a biracial person on campus, that's a whole different story. But to deal with that, you know, that just takes the minor, the majority of people, my, my white allies on campus to stand with people of color and marginalized groups to say, hey, this is a problem and this needs to be talked about and this needs to be addressed. And I think we kind of we kind of started a movement like that with my situation and there were results, but there needs to be more. Just yeah. to back it up for the listeners out there, the quick summary is that you were caught up in a situation. I think it was after the Super Bowl or yeah, whatever. It was Super Bowl Sunday. Someone yes. had exclaimed a remark an extremely offensive remark in your presence yes um you you actually said that was racist as hell yes I think that was the quote yes. uh but which is disturbing and predictable as i alluded to earlier yes. but what is really embarrassing for brian is how they handled it and just sort of trying to cover it up they asked you to take down a facebook post about it yeah i was asked by two administrators to take it down one through email and one through personal conversation good look what a disgrace yeah. i mean that is one of the most disgraceful uh, management practices that that I can think of in Rhode Island, modern Rhode Island history. What an embarrassment! Yeah, but- I, I mean, I love my school. You know, and I, my my Bryant experience was overall positive. Uh, it's it's a little stressful that it had to happen this last semester. However, you know. I, like I said, there's a lot of good people and faculty that want to see this address. There's a lot of good students that want to see this address. There's people all the way till maintenance that want to see this address. Yep. So, you know, and I, I think that there's a, there is people at Bryant, there are people at Bryant that want to see this fixed. Now, whether or not it's going to get fixed is up to the leadership and ultimately the person who's been running it for the last 20 years. So if he can do that, then I would commend him. But until he does, we'll see. Eight miles apart from Brown and what vastly different platforms you're experiencing. All right, let's go to the flagship school of the state of Rhode Island, the University of Rhode Island, and talk about engagement beyond the Rhode Island Democrats on campus. Do people know who Nick Mattiello is? Do they know who Gina Raimondo are for the most part? You know, uh, we do our part. I think uh, what I have seen from my experience is that folks are – 
really uh, passionate about particular issues. So if you look at some of the recent polling data that was done just before this past election, you see 80% of young voters uh, approve of the Reproductive Health Care Act. 80% of young people think that the cost of buying or renting a home is a problem in the state. Um, A lot of folks are concerned about the cost of education and the quality of our education. A lot of folks are concerned about, um, you know, economic opportunity. And actually, after after the Parkland shooting, Rhode Island saw the second highest spike in youth voter registration of any state in the country. Wow. And so folks are – young folks are, are very engaged on the issues. And, uh, you know, the role that we try to play as a College Democrats chapter is channeling that passion into action and exactly as you say, you know, giving folks the resources that they need um, to say, you know uh, – you should reach out to Speaker Mattiello, or here's your senator, your rep. You should reach out to them, or better yet, let's get a meeting and we can have a discussion and you can uh, ask them yourself about it. And so that's a lot of the work that we're doing um, to make sure that when folks come in um, and know that they're passionate about an issue, they can start taking action on it immediately and become leaders uh, in their own right. Shaping people you know, people's understanding of the actual problems on the ground and how to address them. I mean, that's that seems like the common theme throughout all of your experiences, just going about it in, in some cases, radically different ways. All right, let's get into the fun stuff here. Uh, Rhode Island politics. Wow, it's crazy here. No question about it. It's starting to smooth out in some areas, but not, you know, it's starting to get more interesting in some other areas. So let's talk about the future now. Who do you see as a likely ambassador, if you could give us a, a political figure for what you'd like to see the state become, you know, who who out there, it could be more than one candidate or, per, or not candidate, figurehead that could run for governor, that whatever it may be, who kind of embraces what you think the, the sort of movement we need to have in this state right now? Hmm, that's a very interesting question for sure. <laughs> are we thinking about folks who are already involved in Rhode Island? It could be someone or? involved. It could be someone that's not involved yet. Anybody that, that you you want to put forth in this moment and encourage to run for governor or something like that? <laughs> well, I am not going to make any strong predictions on the governor's race this morning. We were talking about it actually a little bit before we started recording. Yeah. I'm talking a little bit about maybe Congressman Landrevin. I also personally am a big fan of Congressman Cicilline. Um, I've been very lucky to be able to work with him throughout my time in Rhode Island. So I've lived in Rhode Island since high school. Um, and so I have had the opportunity to work um, on the congressman's reelection campaigns, to be able to work on some of his advocacy. Um, as an openly queer woman in politics, it's very important for me to feel represented by my representatives, quite literally. Um, And so for me, seeing someone who is very openly queer, but that the fact that that's not something Rhode Island is talking about all the time has been really influential, right? So like when we talk about Congressman Cicilline, we don't say... Um, openly gay congressman decides to do XYZ policy. You know what I'm saying? It's something that's just happening. Um, he's also a figure who has been working very much on, um, in my impression, very much in Congress on democratic messaging, which I think is something that Rhode Island really could use some help with. Mm. Um, so he's been leading the charge on that in Congress. Um, and I think in a state like Rhode Island, which is very blue, but also has a lot of dinos or Democrats in name only, we need strong Democratic messaging. Um, and I think that's something that the congressman is excellent at. And he has a proven progressive track record that is not so progressive um, that some folks who may not be ready to embrace the same progressive ideals that I hold um, would still do find him appealing. And he's a known Rhode Island figure. Um, but 
at the same time, someone who can actually get things done. And so I think he's an excellent person who could unite a lot of different types of Rhode Islanders. Now, this is not to say that I want to, you know, work on his governor's campaign necessarily. I think he's building incredible connections in Washington and represents our state in a way that I am proud of. Um, But at the same time, I think that he could be a good model for what we might look for in future candidates in Rhode Island. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be the governor or senior senator to be the the leader in a sense or the, the, the figurehead of the party of the Rhode Island Democratic Party, what the center of it is, I guess. It could be, you know, we can kind of answer that question um, through someone like a David Cicilline and saying that Congressman Cicilline, he's exactly who, you know, that's exactly how we're going to execute progressive ideals with a little bit of fiscal conservatism, I suppose. Right. Know? Or at least pragmatism, if nothing else. Sure. From your perspective, uh, I look at it as uh, now I'm from New Jersey, which also yep. has a very strong Democratic machine like Rhode Island. And we also deal, uh, deal with people that are dinos, Democrats in name only. John um, Corzine, these yeah. characters. So so people <laughs> like that, you know, and coming to Rhode Island, I, I see a lot of similarities between the machines in both states. But one thing that I think, especially you spending my last four years here, uh, I think that Rhode Island needs a governor that is going to be committed to making Rhode Island the leader in the Northeast. And and I think that there's a lot of things that Rhode Island can be a leader in the Northeast for, like the RI Promise program or mar- marijuana legalization or expanding the medical marijuana program before that and then maybe eventually going into that. But things like that are are moves that states around us kind of wait until maybe Massachusetts does it and maybe New York tries it and then we'll get to it. But if Rhode Island takes that initiative to be like, hey, we're going to be the forefront on all of these issues, that governor I think is going to be more popular than the previous ones just because, you know, that that I just think that that's going to be a positive and to be a leader is always going to is always going to work well politically. Yeah, courting Future industries, I've been talking about this term, an economic development salad. I like it because you can add grapes or maybe take the grapes out or whatever. It doesn't have to be a perfect pie. You know, that's a huge part of it as well. Looking not only, all right, we're going to legalize pot and then we're going to collect X dollars off of uh, the the dispensary taxation, which is a decent amount of money, you know, and drives people away from the dispensaries for sure. But no, we're going to we're going to invest in grow technology and distribution technology and medicine. Because that's one thing New Jersey is looking at right now is they're uh, they're uh, really looking into how they're going to make the the marijuana program not only, you know, uh, financially valuable, but more so like it's doing right by people that were affected by it the most. They're trying to put distribution uh, distribution centers in low-income areas to give low-skill uh, workers jobs that actually pay well and they're actually going to be consistent with the growing industry. The biggest problem, especially for people of color, is that black people are affected the most by these marijuana arrests and these and crackdown on marijuana, but we're not ben- reaping the benefits in states like California and Colorado that are having billions of dollars in, in industry. So I think whatever state is to do it next, which Rhode Island has opportunity to, they should focus on the people that are in jail, um, suffering from these marijuana crimes, nonviolent offenders, of course, and the people that could benefit low-income families and, you know, uh, people that have less opportunity. It's something that a bold Rhode Islander would take a you know take a step to uh, to make happen immediately. This wouldn't be a twenty year plan. This would be as we roll out the plan. Here's how we're going to do it. Hey, maybe they can bulldoze the Wyatt Detention Center and build a facility there to uh, you know work on cannabis problems in that same space, generate a ton more money, 
What's the what's the leader of the future going to sure. be? Sure. So if we're talking about you know the governor's race, which I think it's also important to talk about the other state officers too, because I'm excited to see who's going to step up for those offices. But um, you know when we're talking about any of those offices, it is going to be during a, a non presidential year election, right? And so um, it's going to be during midterm 2022. And I was looking at some of the new Census Bureau data on youth voter turnout in this past election, 2018. And we saw uh, in Rhode Island, the number of voters, uh, 18 to 24, increased by more than 20,000 people relative to 2014 really? and 20, um, and, and, you know, the past two midterms. Yeah. Wow. 20,000 new young people voted who didn't vote in the past two midterm elections. Like, that's crazy. And we need to keep that going. We need to keep that momentum up. And I think part of the reason why we had such high voter turnout is because so many of the candidates in Rhode Island are now speaking to the issues that matter the most to young people. So when I look at, you know, the governor and her Rhode Island's Promise initiative that she's really pushing forward because it is a great investment, um, I think that, that that matters a lot to young people. When I um, see, you know, all of our statewide elected officials and somebody like Mayor Alorza as well, other prominent leaders taking a stand on the Reproductive Health Care Act, I think young people are taking note of that. Uh, I think young people are going to take note of the, um, the, the treasurers and the attorney general's uh, initiatives to protect student loan borrowers and, you know, Secretary Gorbea's efforts to get automatic voter registration and early voting, which makes government just um, incredibly more, um, more you know, uh, responsive and, and accessible. So I think there's, you know, of course, a lot of players and it's early to, I think, you know, begin making any predictions. I think I stopped making predictions after 2016 anyway. Yeah, um, but that's for sure. <laughs> you know, if we want to keep voter turnout up and we want to keep those 20,000 new young voters uh, in, 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 the, in the mix of things, uh, I, you know, hope that our, whoever the candidates are, are going to continue to talk about the issues that matter to young people. Absolutely agree with that as well. You know, you've got to, you've got to, it's a recruiting essentially, you know, do you think we should lower the voting age to 16? Yes or no? I do think that. So I am lucky enough to work with the high school Democrats of Rhode Island often um, in my work with Brown Democrats. And those students are extremely knowledgeable about the issues. Um, actually, more knowledgeable than some adults in my own family. So they're really following. Um, and many policies that we're making now, particularly about issues um, regarding things like Rhode Island Promise here at the state level, but also more broadly climate policy that is going to affect our young people more than anyone else. Um, at 16, I think that we should trust individuals to have the agency to make their own decisions about who they want to vote for and to be informed voters. Um, and so I do think that instead of just having an early registration process, which is what I did when I got my driver's license in Rhode Island, that you should be able to vote at 16. Andy? Yeah, I don't see why not. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest, because uh, – I know myself when I was 16. And, uh, when I was a, let's see, yeah. when I was a freshman in high school, it was 2012. So Obama was running against Romney for the presidential election, which I paid a lot of attention to. Uh, that was what? What are you a freshman in high school? 14, 15, right. something like that. So I, I guess I was politically act like aware. But however, um, I think that opens up the conversation for other things like, okay, if we get the right to vote, which I would argue is the most important right that someone could have, but under maybe under freedom of speech is uh, 
I I think that would open up the bo- like a Pandora's box of other conversations like like you know age, like drinking age or being able to be uh, serve in the army or anything like that. So maybe if we focus on early voting now, in my opinion, of course, if we focus on early voting now and getting as many people registered, maybe down the line as people become more politically aware. But in my opinion, we should try to figure out to get as many people politically aware and registered to vote as possible, and then and then see and then try to figure out what happens after that. Early voting is interesting, too, because it, you mentioned Common Cause. John Marion was on here, the executive director of, of Common Cause, and we were discussing early voting. And everyone points to Central Falls. Oh, man, they're out there using the emergency ballot to get Democratic votes from, you know, use, you know, basically creating early voting. But he pointed to Westerly, where there was something like 200 percent increase in early voting because they had a lengthy charter question on their ballot. You know, I mean, obviously there it's it's mostly wasps, so you didn't hear the outrage. You know what I mean? So that early voting issue, that has to be removed as kind of a, um, a, a slam piece from those who would like to marginalize certain pop- populations in the state. I think it's more of a, hey, we've got to get our act together as a state and have the best pool of minds coming together to select our leaders and make our decisions. Yeah, I think it's very unfortunate that, um, you know, sort of foundational issues of democracy have become so partisan. Absolutely. No question. All right. In our last few minutes here, we're closing in on a presidential election. I'm not a huge fan of like early back and forth on that. You know, you look at Bobby Jindal and as I referenced a couple of weeks ago on PBS, (laughs) you know, all these characters that were supposed to be president Hillary Clinton um, and certainly not Donald Trump, but whatever. We can look at the candidates now as sort of a, a way to uh, assess where the party lines will be. Pete Buttigieg, yay or nay? I uh, so I like Mayor Pete. However, on Monday there were uh, he he gave a town hall uh, that I wasn't there. I'm a little. I don't know how to feel about him. I yeah. honestly, when he ran for DNC chair, I thought that he was a great person for the job, and I I was interested at the time. Now now that he's back in the race for president. I think he's an intriguing candidate, and he's definitely someone that I want to pay attention to. Uh, I, fe- I feel like he should become a little bit stronger on his policy issues, and if he can, if he can do that, for me, I think the debate is going to shift everything. The first debate yeah. is going to reshift everything. There's going to be so many people on that stage. It's really going to come down to who can win over the crowd the most, and I think the greatest orator and the most personable person might do it. And Mayor Pete has some of those qualities, so we'll see. Right, polling at 14% right now and really speaking in vague terms on issues, like you say, not really policy-oriented. Bernie Sanders, you like his chances, Andy? You know, uh, like Quentin said, it, it's – I think early to be sort of prognosticating too much about any one candidate. So um, what I'm thinking about right now is, you know, number one, who's talking about the issues that are important to young people um, and important to the people who need the most help in our society. And number two, who can put together the coalition um, that's needed to, to take Donald Trump out of the White House. And, um, you know, I'm not sure. Um, I'll be, you know, watching to see who emerges as that candidate. Tulsi Gabbard, Kamala Harris. 
Biden. Well, <laughs> so many options to choose from. Um, so Tulsi Gabbard was recently on Brown University's yeah. campus. And all I will say about that is that the Brown Democrats did not endorse the event. Um, it is not necessarily an implicit opinion of the group. We don't make any you know, political endorsements before the primary. Um, but also, she does not someone that seems to have a lot of excitement around her on campus. And I do want to be sure that I am representing folks well when I speak about what our group is thinking about and mm-hmm. what I'm thinking about personally. Um, I wish Joe Biden was younger and from a different era where he understood um, social conventions around appropriate interactions um, with other folks, particularly women. Um, But I do like many of his policy positions and think that we perhaps people would like a return to an Obama era. Some Democrats who are very sort of frightened by what they've seen in the come out of the Trump administration. And in my view, personally, Kamala Harris, while being like truly a powerhouse, was a very conservative prosecutor. Um, And I think that's something that sometimes gets lost in the conversation because people get excited um, about the type of candidate she could be. And I think it's really important for all of these candidates that we've talked about, um, you know, whether that's Mayor Pete, um, whether that's Bernie Sanders to look at their records first, as well as then what they say about policy and what they say their future, their vision of the future is like. Yeah, because Harris has some dreadful right. uh, points of record when it comes to, for example, transgender prisoners. Exactly. You know. And then also Mayor Pete made comments at that town hall that you referenced um, saying that incarcerated individuals should not have the right to vote. Right. Um, which is another way pretty much to just suppress votes of people of color who are incarcerated at rates that are far disproportionate to white folks in the United States because of increased surveillance and really no other reason whatsoever. Um, so I think actually just circling back to our voting conversation about voting at 16, um, I would actually preference um, – voting rights for incarcerated folks over that. Um, Mm. I think that both are important and both would lead to expansions of rights for all individuals who deserve those rights and should be entitled to them. And also, um, well, if not entitled, that might not be the word I want, but rights for folks to participate in our representative democracy, which I think is extremely important. And like Andy said, should not be partisan. And how about rights that get taken away, but some don't like we don't lose mm-hmm. the, our Second Amendment right when we do something terrible. Mm-hmm. Right. But we'll lose our right to vote. And, you know, we j- obviously jail the most people and black people are overwhelmingly the majority in our prison system. So I think it's pretty obvious, you know, how how people are getting oppressed and what kind of uh, system we're trying to run here with our countries. Yeah, it's on the nose now. You don't need to spend years reading Howard Zinn and Noam Chomsky to figure it out at this point. You know, just walk down pretty much any street in the United States. Last quick question here. Do you feel positive about Rhode Island, each of you? Do you feel like it's a place that if you weren't living here now and you had the information about the state that you do now, would you consider starting a business here? Would you consider pursuing um, politics here? Would you consider some kind of other roots establishment in the ocean state today based on what you know about it today? I would. I think one of the great things about being involved politically in Rhode Island is that it is more accessible than some larger states. Um, so we're super lucky to be located in Providence. So at Brown, you really can just go down to the state house to testify. There's really no excuse not to if you're interested in that type of work. Um, it's very easy to knock on literally every door if you're running a campaign, even a statewide. So I recently worked on a statewide campaign last summer where we did actually try to do that, and we're pretty successful at doing so. Um, I think Rhode Island economically is doing better and is on an upswing um, 
uh, compared to where it used to be in any case, and that some of the governor's policies, including Rhode Island Promise and talks regarding environmental policy, which I'm always thinking about um, in terms of the viability of a place, you know, to live in a place, um, I think are... um, or positives and definitely things that would draw me to staying here after Brown. Um, I also, Rhode Island is just a beautiful place. I mean, you know, stepping aside from the politics for a moment, uh, we can go to Boston here or New York, which is super convenient. Um, and I think it's something about Rhode Island that sometimes we undersell. I mean, we don't want to say, hey, you can go somewhere else once you live here. But also, it is a convenient location. Um, we have beautiful beaches, which Andy, I'm sure, knows more about than I do. Um, <laughs> you know, season more. And it's a place I think where if you want to be involved politically, and I can't really speak to the business side, but if you do want to be involved politically, it's a place where that can happen in a realistic way. I, uh, I, as coming from New Jersey and I honestly, like I told you before the show, I was never North of New York city before I got an offer from Bryant, um, for football. However, once I came up here, I was my my mind was blown. I mean, I've never I never really got a true taste of the Northeast until I was actually here. But uh, I think that Rhode Island is is certainly has a positive future. Rose took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, you got a program, the RI Promise program, which is great. The what is it, 146 increase of students of color? Like, it's it's a great program. They have things that were that are in the works that are so positive for the future. I would. I think it's bright, and I wouldn't have any problem uh, as far as living here with that, with knowing that there's programs like that and environmental consciousness in the state, especially coming from New Jersey where we have to deal with stuff like that uh, a lot. And on the other hand, I think Rhode Island is perfect for any political novice um, looking to get involved. For example, I came here and I wanted to get involved in politics. And then next thing you know, I ended up being able to start my own club, being in CDRI and being able to testify at the state house, meet everyone in the congressional delegation, along with the attorney general and the governor and the secretary of state. So like there, I don't think there's another state in the country that you could do that in such a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I live in New Jersey, which is small, but it's also really populated. I worked on the governor's campaign for, I think like five months. And I don't even think I ever got into the same room as the governor. So, and I, and I was working, I was, I was a field organizer. So it's just, it's, it's different. And I like it because it gets you hands on, you're diving in head first and it gets you that experience, which is good for someone that wants to see what it's really like. And for the most part, anyone that's gotten involved that I know has stayed around. So I haven't really seen that many people that have been scared away or intimidated. Like Andy said earlier, the biggest thing I hear is people are intimidated to get involved in politics because they feel like they don't know. But little do they know, everyone else doesn't know until they get involved. (laughs) So so that's like, that's really what it is. So once you get involved, you'll know and, and you'll catch that bug. And usually that bug keeps you around for a little while. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. I, I could not agree more with what Rose and, um, and Quentin said. You know, uh, I am very proud to live in Rhode Island. I'm very proud to be from Rhode Island. And uh, I think it's a state with just so much to offer. So I'm, you know, I have nothing but hope for the future of the state. There it is. Rose, Andy, Quentin, thanks so much for your time. And thank you for joining in on another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'll be back on Friday with brand new content. But you can catch up on every episode at BartholomewTown.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Bill Bartholomew. We'll talk soon. Hey, if you're interested in supporting the Bartholomew Town podcast through our sponsorship opportunities and reaching thousands of engaged Rhode Islanders per week, send me an email. It's Bill at BartholomewTown.com.